Welcome to America's Homegrown Veggie Show. I'm Daryl Pullis, and this week I'm talking to Jacqueline Soule, who is the author of many, many gardening articles and books, including her most recent, Southwest Fruit and Vegetable Gardening. Dr. Soule is our first author from the Southwest, and I'm especially excited to talk to her because I've always been a wet climate gardener. Good morning, Jacqueline. Good morning, Daryl. Thanks for having yeah. me. Well, you're quite welcome. How did you, have you always been a gardener? Um... As far back as I can recall. Does that make sense? Well, yes. I was three. (laughs) (laughs) I had my own garden spot when I was three. Um, And my mother and grandmother let me help out as much as a toddler can help in the garden. So you've been at it a long time, too, huh? Yeah, and that's exactly the same thing. It's like, well, why don't you have this spot in the garden, and that will be yours. And I think that was the way to keep me from, like, digging up the seeds to see if they'd sprouted yet. Yes, yes. I, I, I'm sure that that was the motive behind my mother having my brother dig me out my own little three-by-three-foot garden space, too. And three-by-three and three is, is, is a lot of space when you're small. It is. It, it kept me busy. It really kept yes. me very, very busy. Um, yes. what, what career path did you take to get to where you are? Well, first off, tell everybody what you, what you do, if you will. Well, I, I describe myself as a garden writer, and um, career path, uh, gee, I, I actually started uh, college at the University of Arizona. Um, we had moved to Arizona when I was um, young, and um, they didn't have uh, a botany degree, so I took horticulture and ecology, and then I became really conflicted because I liked both of them, and... Um, I went on actually to uh, do an internship at the Morris Arboretum in Pennsylvania, which was a real eye-opener for a Southwest girl. (laughs) I bet it was. (laughs) I was like, wow, with all this water all the time, it rains every day. And um, it was actually kind of neat. And then they um, went to Michigan State for my master's, and... University of Texas for a Ph.D. Well, so and you've been in a lot of places. Yeah. My postdoc was in Washington State, which is eastern Washington, which is the dry part. So, yeah, kind of all over. And I, I can imagine your culture shock when you went to Morris Arboretum from Arizona because when I landed in Tucson for my brother's wedding, um, I, I thought I was on a different planet. Yes. <laughs> it's the the whole, even the air, the air is dry. And it's it's a bit of culture shock to, to, um, to realize that, that even, even just breathing all day long can dehydrate you. You know, even if you're indoors, the, the humidity is so low that you lose moisture. That had and never occurred to me. Oh yeah, and and then what that means for gardening? See, I grew up with a certain concept of how to garden, and I came back east, and it was like weeds. What are weeds? We, <laughs> <laughs> we never have problems with weeds. You know, I shouldn't say that. There are weeds in Arizona, but but uh, it's not an issue like it is in the east. So. Well, I, I can I can see how that would be because 
even of course I couldn't tell whether what, whether there was a weed or not what I was looking at um, around Tumacockery or places like that except you know down by the river because the plants had you know green stems and little things that didn't really look like much like leaves but um, they were green and they had obviously mm-hmm. had chlorophyll and probably served the same purpose. Mm-hmm. But I guess you don't get very many volunteers unless you've got an area under irrigation, do you? Exactly. You you pretty much have to add water to have volunteers. Now, and, one uh, of the things... Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. What's your... One of the things that um, you mentioned, the humidity there, and for us, the idea of low humidity is 40%. What does yours run? Well, um... Our, our humidity is generally in the teens, and we think it's dry when it drops into the single digit. Single digit humidity. Yeah. Wow. And, and yeah, it's like nine eight. Yeah, it's pretty dry when when that happens. <laughs> I have a friend who lives in California, and she said oh, last one day last summer, she said, oh, the humidity is so awful. I just can't work outside anymore. And it, I said, well, so what is it? She said about 25%. Yeah. And, and, you know, I have to say, when I got to Texas, and I'm bustling around in my usual, you know, quick fashion, and I realized everybody talks slower in the South, and they move slower because it's just too hot and too humid to be fast. It's wear yourself out. Especially back in, you know, like when we moved here more than 30 years ago, um, we didn't have air conditioning. Air conditioning was was common, but not as common as you would think that it would have been. Um, So it wasn't home air conditioning. Because in Arizona, I grew up without air conditioning. No. Well, you don't really need air air conditioning in Arizona, don't you? I've seen people with swamp coolers. And those are good right up until the monsoon rains start, which is generally in, in July and August. So it's 110 during the day, and then you have a rainstorm, and it feels really nice while it's raining. And then you have humidity right around 70%. <laughs> and a swamp cooler doesn't work when it's that humid. It's just kind of green yeah, and I, I used to work for, a, for helping a friend out with their greenhouse, and we would be potting plants up in front of the swamp cooler because it was the coolest place in the in the yeah. area in the greenhouse. But it still didn't help a whole lot. But no. today our, our humidity t- today is seventy three percent. That's that's a bit rough. That is. Well, and that's that's where you get the heat index uh, temperatures. Because I remember that in Austin, Texas, they'd say, well, it's only 90 degrees, but the heat index is 136, you know, or something <laughs> like that. And, and what it means is your body thinks you're basically putting it in, a, in an oven, you know. Mm-hmm. 136, you can make toast, you know. Tucson, when it's 110, it's pretty much 110. 
Now, tell me about the monsoon. I, I have heard about monsoons. Now, I just figured that it would kind of come and stay rainy for, you know, a, a long period. But um, apparently it comes and goes like it does here when we have a big thunderstorm and then it goes away and just leaves the streets steaming. Yes. And, and I've been driving down the street and literally one side is underwater and the other side is dry. They, they can be that divisive. There's summer summer showers, but they can be very, very local. And basically, Tucson is in a very unique place in that we're sort of midway between the, the Gulf of, of Mexico, you know, and so we get the summer rains that Texas gets. And then we're close to the Pacific Ocean, so we get the winter rains that California gets. And it's one reason why people like to move to Tucson is because it's it's actually a little, we get a little more relief from the heat than Phoenix does. Uh, well, I was looking at your book and noticing how many different elevations and um, <laughs> things like that that you have in, your, in the southwest in general. The east coast, well, of course, we do have our mountainous areas, but it seems to be much more hum- homogenized. Yes, and and part of that is gets back to uh, well, you know, airflow coming off the Pacific or off the Gulf of Mexico, but also um, we've got mountains that are twelve thousand feet tall, and and you stop and you think about it, and you go, well, a mile is about no oh, fifty five hundred, so that mountain is two miles in the air, and that means it's cold up there, and. The cold air falls down the mountainside into the valleys right next to it. So uh, we have zone four, and at 200 miles away, zone 10. And it makes for very interesting gardening. (laughs) I would think so. And and it's not just Arizona. Uh, Nevada, I mean, think about the difference between Reno, you know, where people go skiing in the winter, and, and Las Vegas. And they're just, they're in the same state. And then New Mexico, we've got Santa Fe, and we've got, uh, like, Lawrenceburg. I was surprised looking in your book about how short the growing season was for Flagstaff. And then I realized, well, that's, you know, more than a mile high. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and, um, and the problem with the probable frost-free days is that the last probable spring, uh, spring freeze and the first probable fall freeze doesn't mean that's actually what you get. But they've had snowflakes fall out of the sky on the 4th of July in Flagstaff. Don't so, <laughs> so they go, oh, look, you know, fireworks and snow, what a, what a joy. <laughs> Well, it does, it's, I expect that in places like like Wyoming. Uh, I remember being in Yellowstone in the middle of the summer and waking up and, you know, the car was covered with snow and our sleeping bags were all covered with frost where we had been exhaling. Um, yeah. But I, yeah, I, always, I always think of, you know, of the desert southwest and it being very hot and very dry. And it can be. <laughs> you're in the right place. <laughs> and uh, the, the thing that is in common between the three states, Arizona, Nevada, and New Mexico, which the book, it, it's... So even though we may have 
snow in the winter, it still even then has a, a there's a low humidity overall. So that plants with large leaves like corn are not necessarily well adapted to living in the southwest. I can see where that would be, because, you know, knowing how corn rolls up um, when it's short of water, when it, there's not either not enough soil moisture or when it's so dry that um, the moisture gets sucked right out of the leaves. So what do you grow then? Well, actually, having said corn is ideally adapted, um, if you grow a, uh, a dry climate corn, you can grow corn. You, you can grow pretty much everything you can grow anywhere else. Watermelon, uh, as a matter of fact, of all the squash family members, really likes the heat. And um, I, I grow a cantaloupe that was bred in Israel, and I can't think of the name of it uh, offhand. But it's got small leaves and, and very narrow vines, so, so the squash vine borer doesn't bother it. Oh, and then you get that would be lovely. <laughs> so we have to take a little break coming up here, but when we come back, um, we'll talk some more about gardening and what you grow and, and how you grow. And, and you've got some other problems, like with the soil, too, don't you? Oh, yes. Soil is Okay. <laughs> so we'll be back right after this. Could an app be the answer to a better garden? Absolutely. It's the new free app, Homegrown with Bonnie Plants. Note, track, and photograph your garden's progress. Personalize your weather and reminders. Get variety info, grow guides, hands-free dictation, and more. The Homegrown with Bonnie Plants app, the sharpest tool in your garden. Download it free on the App Store. Could an app be the answer to a better garden? Absolutely. It's the new free app, Homegrown with Bonnie Plants. Note, track, and photograph your garden's progress. Personalize your weather and reminders. Get variety info, grow guides, hands-free dictation, and more. The Homegrown with Bonnie Plants app, the sharpest tool in your garden. Download it free on the App Store. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back to America's Homegrown Veggie Show. My guest today is Jacqueline Soule, the author of Southwest Fruit and Gardening and a whole bunch of other things. And one of the things that... I know, I don't know very much about the Southwest, but I know that you have alkaline soils generally, and that that also gives you a particularly difficult problem to deal with, what you call the ogre in the garden. Uh, Alkaline soils are a real challenge um, in that uh, any vegetable that, that sort of was bred for in Europe isn't really happy growing in an alkaline soil. They, they prefer the uh, more acidic soils. So um, we can really grow chili peppers. <laughs> but um, uh, basically everything else, you just add lots and lots of compost to your soil. And um, that can be a problem in the southwest because it's a lot of newer communities and they 
generally have homeowners associations and and a, a not well managed compost pile could have pests you know bugs and flies so homeowners associations have said no compost at all none at all and i as a gardener it's like well, you need compost so you well, have to purchase it yeah um well, but a well-managed compost pile doesn't smell, and, and of course there are ways to hide things from the homeowners associations. Uh, we had a design client uh, here whose homeowners association said absolutely no compost piles. So we ringed an area with evergreen azaleas, and nobody ever knew that it was back there. <laughs> there you go. See, well, and and actually one of the best ways to, to compost is in Arizona anyway, or in the Southwest where it's very Low humidity is to dig holes down and, and keep watering it so that the compost stays moist. So you put your stuff in the, in the hole and add your leaves on top, your shred newspaper, and a little soil. So if anybody did look in your yard, all they would see is a, a big hole with soil in it, and they wouldn't see the compost. Well, one of the things that surprised me in your book was reading that you need to have, um, that, that you had a third ingredient to your compost, not just the greens and browns, but also the blue, the water. And yes. here, sometimes we have to cover, if we have an extended rainy period, we have to cover the compost bin so all the nutrients don't leach out. Yeah, we, we don't have that problem. <laughs> Even in monsoon season, um, my compost, I just stopped watering it. And even though I get rain like every two or three days, it was still, it never got drenched, never got too wet. But um, How much rain do yeah. you get a year? Well, in, in Tucson it's 12, and in Yuma and Las Vegas it's about two inches. So really not enough to sustain vegetable garden. Well, popular. <laughs> so, so what do people do? Do they all rely on well water or county water or yeah, or city water? Because I know when I was out there, there would be really lush lots and lots of fields right along the rivers, uh, which are also few and far between. But um, but the rest seemed to be all open and barren. That's where it, it's not really barren. It's just less layers of vegetation. <laughs> well, barren to this eastern girl's eyes. I, I grew up in the Midwest and in, in, in the mid, mid-Atlantic states and moved down here about 30 years ago. And to us, a droughty year is 30 inches of rain. 30 inches of rain in our res- for a couple of years, and our reservoir goes down to the point where they can barely draw water out of it for drinking. So to think of two inches of rain or 12 inches of rain, that, that just, you know, makes me nuts thinking about it. What was that? You're breaking up. I'm sorry. Given those conditions of really low rainfall, What's amazing is that when Europeans first arrived in in Arizona, here were these natives that were cultivating crops 
what were they doing something special so that they could cultivate like cultivating in valleys or were they hauling water or what was it that they were doing they were not hauling water there were um actually well there were extensive um irrigation canals across the southwest and the tohono adham which lived in the tucson area um harvested water by uh we, we have dry water courses we call washes, and they would divert a wash into a sunken area, which would be their garden. So they would wait until the first rain of the year, would soak the soil, they would dig and plant, and then the corn they cultivated would produce uh, corn even if it never rained again. Hmm. And and I actually grew that cultivar. It was just dry corn that you can use. I was I've been looking yeah. through Native Seed Search um, their offerings, and it it just amazes me the variety of different grains and beans that were grown in such an arid climate. Yeah, and that's that's exactly it. And they to me how. If you get the right genetics component to your plants. So, now what? Go ahead. I was going to say, well, you know, um, Alabama sweet corn probably wouldn't do so well in, in oats. Yeah, and I imagine lettuce wouldn't be at its happiest there, except maybe as a winter crop. Do you, is it, do you... Um, from what I look, was looking at in your book, you alternate summer and winter crops, just like we do, or cool season and warm season crops. Exactly. And lettuce is the I saw some fields of lettuce being cultivated um, someplace in Arizona, and it just it struck me as being very strange because it was so dry all the way around it, and then there were these huge lettuce fields and, and lots and lots of overhead irrigation. And I was thinking that the, that can't be very efficient. It's not. And they pretty much have stopped overhead irrigation. I'm, I'm glad to hear that because so much is lost to the air, you know, to evaporation. Yes. Yeah. Now, and, tell and, me. And, go ahead. I was going to say California has been finding that out here. Yeah, it's pretty grim looking at pictures of California. But again, I saw on the news they were overhead irrigating. And I just said, well, why don't you just run drip lines? That would save so much. And the Israelis really tired of those lines. And that's, that's what actually I use my garden. Now, do you have problems with irrigation lines with them um, getting plugged up with calcium carbonate? Absolutely. And what do you do about that? Well, uh, you can take them off and take some Basically, um, you're, you're breaking up and I can't hear you. I apologize for the, the um, connection here. Yeah, it's just started raining here. And I ah. think that's, 
that's interfering with our signal. That's too bad. So do you, um, I, I didn't hear what you said on that. Do you soak your lines in vinegar and your emitters in vinegar to, to loosen it up? Or um... You can do that. You can actually even force vinegar through the line. But um, the Israeli speed, this irrigation line, is something that you just melt down and start over. And their, their plastic industry is actually poked. To, um, take these irrigation lines and, and, and regenerate them every so often. Oh, that's a good thing to know. Now, yeah. you, you have because of your alkalinity, you also have a hard pan layer under your soil, don't you? What does that oh, cause yeah. problems? That's called that caliche, and that is basically calcium carbonate that's been washed to a certain level soil. And uh, if you look at the chemical composition of cement, it's pretty high in calcium carbonate. So basically say they're about the same. Hmm. So these beds are nice. Growing in containers are really nice. Or um, by adding a great deal of compost to the soil, it adds acidity. And then you go up and and push down the uh, caliche layer. Oh, so it, it, can, it can be, it can get pushed down, it can, can the top of it will start to break down? Yes. Because we, ha- we have a problem here with what we call hard pan, and that happens when people have repetitively uh, plowed to a certain depth, usually around, right. around eight inches, and we get a layer that seems to be much like your caliche. It's uh, nothing. Roots won't penetrate it. Um, oxygen won't penetrate it. Water won't penetrate it. Well, it does, but very, very slowly. And and uh, we actually have column breaker bars. They're bars with a point on one end. And you lift it up and you drop it <laughs> again and again and again. Hard manual labor, and you can break I yikes! <laughs> well, if you make a hole through the caliche, then the water at least will drain through, and over time it'll it'll get the hole larger and it'll break up. But well, that's a good thing to know. Yeah. Um, so if you have this layer, you just have to work with it and break it up, or garden up, going up in the air. But doesn't it, yes. if if you have raised beds, don't they get awfully hot? I mean, the soil, I'm sure, gets really hot there like it does here. But um, I would think that the raised beds would be kind of like our, our container gardens here where the soil temperature can get up to 120 degrees. Yes. And the most pure material for raised beds is actually uh, blocks. Is what blocks? Blocks. You know how they have... Two chambers of air, uh-huh. eight inches deep, mm-hmm. and and so that helps uh, buffer the, the soil temperatures, and they don't get quite so hot. That's a good thing to know. Yeah, but that, doesn't yeah. that then cause leaching more lime into the soil? Uh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> You have more courage than I do gardening in an area like that. 
Well, it's kind of like if you grow up gardening like that, you don't know any better. I, I don't know. You know, you think these are normal challenges. <laughs> All of life has its challenges, doesn't it? We need to take a quick break here, but we'll be back with more of America's Homegrown Veggies right after this. Could an app be the answer to a better garden? Absolutely. It's the new free app, Homegrown with Bonnie Plants. Note, track, and photograph your garden's progress. Personalize your weather and reminders. Get variety info, grow guides, hands-free dictation, and more. The Homegrown with Bonnie Plants app, the sharpest tool in your garden. Download it free on the App Store. This is America's AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back to America's Homegrown Veggie Show. My guest today is Jacqueline Soule, author of Southwest Fruit and Vegetable Gardening. And right before the break, we were talking about how every, I guess every part of the world has its own difficulties for growing. But I, and I can't imagine going through all of that. I, I, when I first moved down here to Georgia, um, I, I thought I'd had bad soil up in New Jersey because we had come from Illinois where, you know, the topsoil is a dozen feet deep. And then we moved to New Jersey and it was kind of rocky, but it was still sandy and with a clay. But we considered it clay soil. And then I came down here to Georgia and I, I was just flabbergasted. Um, my, the moving van was late and as, as moving vans tend to be. And my mother-in-law had put some bulbs under the front seats, and she said, be sure to plant them as soon as you get there. Well, my dad brought over um, a shovel for me to use to start digging, and I dumped, clunked the shovel on the ground, and it, it wouldn't do anything. It was like hitting a brick. And so he said, well, let me bring my pick. That should do it. And he went home for lunch, and they came back with a pick, and the pick bounced off the soil. <laughs> and, and yeah, and so I under I, you know I, I know a little bit about about the hard work that can be required, especially when you have soil problems. And those of our listeners that don't have soil problems just count your lucky stars. The problem in this area, of course, was you know most a lot of people in the new construction anyway have problems because of soil compaction from the builders that aren't as careful as they might be. But the other part of the problem in the South was that we've lost so much topsoil to years and years of cotton land. And things, you know, you keep taking organic matter out of the soil, and you don't have much left. But yours is entirely different. Yours is all chemical-based, isn't it? It's all, I'm sorry? It's all chemical-based, isn't it? Because of the, the alkaline soil and, and, and even have alkaline water. Yes, alkaline soil, alkaline water, and very low organic matter, Yeah, I, I can see where it would be hard to have a lot of organic matter. Yeah. Now, that, uh, if you go out in the desert, especially after the winter rains, there's all sorts of mosses and blue-green algae that just live in the soils. So it's not there's sterile soil. It, it has organic matter in it. It's just 
low level that it makes it very challenging to grow plants, garden plants. Native plants are perfectly happy. I was surprised at how big some of the, your native plants are. And I was also told that, told that some of your roots practically go down to China, uh, which I would guess would be needed to find water down low. And, and the, um, back a years ago. What was that? 300 years ago, two something grassland. And uh, now it's pretty much not anymore other city. Uh, now, is, is that because of climate change or because people have disturbed it or what? Uh, cows. Cow. Oh, okay. People... People brought in cows, and they overcrossed it, and the mesquite trees took over because their roots can go a hundred meters, which is wow. hundred feet. Yeah, and uh, people can have lawns in Tucson if they really want one, but they need to learn that you know if you put the water two feet deep, the grass roots will go two feet deep, and then the water won't evaporate so quickly. Because it's down in the soil. But um, it's kind of also what we have to do with vegetable gardening. And even with fruit trees. We, we can grow apples. Um, again, the Israelis apples with very, very little chill requirements. And uh, we can grow them in Tucson. But you also have to water them correctly so that they learn how to tolerate the... Um, they don't turn into... Uh, I don't know what you say, water and where you need to water them every day. Yeah, I guess that's a common problem among new gardeners because you water, particularly if you are watering by hand and don't have an irrigation system, it seems like you're putting a huge amount of water on. But if you dig down a little bit, you realize that really there isn't, it, it hardly penetrated at all. And so a lot of people, a lot of people just don't give their plants adequate water and I don't know if you have that problem here, but a lot of our irrigation contractors set the uh, the irrigation to go off a couple of times a day sometimes just for, like they would leave it there for establishing new lawns on a really hot year, and they never come back and reset it so that the water is penetrating down a good eight inches. Yeah, and, and to tell the truth, that's... Uh make a living going around setting people's irrigation systems <laughs> <laughs> Well, that was, that, that, that's a good, good thing to do. One of the things that I was told by an irrigation contractor that just really fried me was, and, and he was one of these, well, we're not going to call them sexist pigs, but you, could, you get the idea. Um, and he was practically shaking his finger in my face and when I asked him that. He said, little lady, people pay lots of good money for this irrigation system, and they want to see it run. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting idea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I, I don't know. And then you get problems like the Atlanta area has grown tremendously in the last 30 years, and we only have really two lakes to supply our water, Lake Alatuna and Lake Lanier, and it's not adequate for the population if they're wasting water. So we get into a drought period, um, and everybody's lawns, uh, the homeowners associations say, well, you have to water, and 
the town says, no, you can't water. Do, do you have problems like that there, or do, do people pretty much get the message quickly? Ah, well, um, we have problems like that there, in that uh, landscape uh, builders will read the book. Oh, look, Arizona ash. Let's plant that. It has <laughs> Arizona in the name. Well, Arizona ash needs to be there. Remember, we only have 10 coming out of the sky, or maybe 12. <laughs> so, you mentioned that you can grow fruit trees. You grow special low-chill apples from Israel. Um, yeah. Do you have problems with desiccation? I, uh, no, because along with birds, if you kick the right growth, um, and, and that the book went into that very specifically, the varieties, pretty much the peach varieties, there's low-chill, but also they have been selected for small leaf size and tolerance of less humidity. So, so if you if you pick the varieties of everything, even vegetables, they can tolerate low humidity. Now, one of the things I noticed in your book was that you mentioned that the wind is almost always blowing. So, I assume you plant windbreaks. <laughs> if your land is enough, yes. But we're we're also blessed with with having um, been settled pretty much by Spaniards first. Almost everybody's yard is walled with six-foot wall, which is the Moorish influence. So uh, a six-foot wall is is a pretty good windbreak. Yes, I guess it would be. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I I can imagine that the heat is as much of a problem because when it reflects off of the walls and the ground and. It's in the an enclosed space. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So and one of the things I noticed about the Southwest is that your light is very different from ours. Yes. It's because there's less humidity in the air to diffuse sunlight so that it's very intense. There's a, there's a lot of photons there. <laughs> and um, can, can be very bright. And does that affect how you grow things too? Um, no, not not so much. It, it's just uh, some plants. You'll you'll read the back of the the label, and it says it needs eight hours of sunlight a day. And really, actually, it'll get enough in six in in Arizona because there's more at once. And I imagine that that your labels also are kind of um, sometimes a little strange, like ours. It'll say plant the hot, you know, plant hostas in full sun. Uh, you do that here, and they're 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 dead. <laughs> they just burn to a crisp. Yeah, so, exactly. It gets to every place. And and a little printed in Indiana doesn't help you in in Georgia. No, it doesn't. Now, um, when we were talking about soils, and you mentioned adding organic matter, is vermicomposting there, worm composting, popular, or is it too hot for that? Well, you you have to keep your worms 
you can't keep the worms out because it's okay. too hot. And, um, oh, yeah, I uh, worm compost here. And they live in my laundry room. <laughs> and, <laughs> and in a bin, you know, I mean, they're very, they're very happy in their bin in the laundry room. And uh, they don't really leave the bin because it's so dry outside. You know, they can poke their little heads out the holes and go, oh, whoops. <laughs> go right back into their soil. When my first attempt at composting, I had made the bins out of some Rubbermaid bins, and you know, with holes and things like that. And I guess, it, and it got to be winter time, and I figured, oh, those poor little things are going to freeze outside. So we were having a really chill night, and so I just brought them into the dining room, and figured, well, it's you know, it's it'll be okay there, and I'll take them out in the morning. Well, I guess I'd given them too many coffee grounds or something like that because I got up in the middle of the night to yell at the dogs out. And stepped on about a dozen of them. <laughs> Lordy, I can see that. <laughs> yeah, well, and, I, you know, of course, that's easy to, to overcome, even if it is too wet for them. You just add some more dry material and leave a light on for them because they don't like to come out in the light. But it was just kind of a shock at 2 in the morning. Yeah, especially if you step on the poor bees. <laughs> Barefoot, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, sort of like in, in San Francisco, those banana flights that'll even come into the homes. Oh, that's a nice nightmare to think about. Yeah. yeah. We have we have slugs here, but they don't come indoors. They do, however, climb up the siding of your house and will clean the algae off of it for you. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it makes very strange little little slug trails there. We're going to have to take a little break pretty soon, um, but when we come back, I'd like to talk to you about some more recommendations for specific vegetables for people to grow and what grows well, what you found, if, if you can remember anything off the top of your head, what grows the best for you. We'll be back with more of America's Homegrown Veggie right after this. Could an app be the answer to a better garden? Absolutely. It's the new free app, Homegrown with Bonnie Plants. Note, track, and photograph your garden's progress. Personalize your weather and reminders. Get variety info, grow guides, hands-free dictation, and more. The Homegrown with Bonnie Plants app. The sharpest tool in your garden. Download it free on the App Store. Could an app be the answer to a better garden? Absolutely. It's the new free app, Homegrown with Bonnie Plants. Note, track, and photograph your garden's progress. Personalize your weather and reminders. Get variety info, grow guides, hands-free dictation, and more. The Homegrown with Bonnie Plants app. The sharpest tool in your garden. Download it free on the App Store. This is America's AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome. 
Welcome back to America's Homegrown Veggie Show. My guest today is Jacqueline Soule, author of Southwest Fruit and Vegetable Gardening, and she's going to give us a little hint on what varieties might do well there uh, if for those of you that are growing in the Southwest. And I'm particularly intrigued about one of your other books, too, Father Kino's Herbs, and maybe she can tell us about that. Okay, well, um, the what varieties really depends on your warm season or your cold season. And um, I do have to say I look forward to the winter because I'm really, really fond of the uh, choy cabbages, you know, the bok choy uh-huh. and joy choy, which it, it's a smaller, smaller than like bok choy, which is, tends to be larger. It's small and it stays green and it's yummy even even when you thin it. And um, so, so this personal favorites, and um, well, for fruit, well, let me come back to fruit <laughs> in a minute. Um, I, I do have to say, for tomatoes, because Americans do like their tomatoes. Um, mm-hmm. In in the Southwest, with all the calcium in the water and alkaline soils, to avoid blossom and rot. It's not really rot, but the calcium problems with mm-hmm. the developing fruit. Uh, the smaller the fruits, the better, the, um, the easier it is to get them to develop without blossom end rot. So I like the little um, smaller uh, tomatoes. And the current top tomatoes or cherry tomatoes? Cherry tomatoes are wonderful. And um, actually, the aromas grow quite well as well. The lower lower um, water um, amounts in the, in the flesh of the, the fruit, uh-huh. so it's not so likely to d- develop end rot. Now that's interesting because I found that the Roma tomatoes tend to develop blossom end rot more rapidly. And I was talking to Craig Lahuyer a while back, and he came to he had come to the same conclusion that I did that it was probably a matter because most of them are are, are determinates, and they will put on a whole lot of fruit all at once. So yeah, that's interesting. No, that might be uh, you might have put your finger on it about when I have problems. And that's why I that's why I don't grow Romas anymore. I do, however, grow Juliet because Juliet is like it looks like a Roma. It's kind of dry, um, dry fleshed, fairly small seed cavity, but it produces over a long season. So you're not getting that big, huge fruit set that um, that causes the problems. It's an indeterminate. And I'm told I, um, that there's an even better variety out there called Jasper that I'm, I've got seeds for, and I will start them for a fall crop. Ooh. And that reminds me, do you grow in the summertime, uh, are you growing, like, your tomatoes, do they set fruit all summer, or do they take a day off or take a, a month off when it's really hot, or what do they do? Yeah, Excuse me, your your phone broke up again. Okay, once the temperatures are over ninety, you pretty much don't get set. Right. So um, that would be from May fifteenth in in Tucson anyway, from May fifteenth to about September fifteenth. So you can keep the plant growing, but you won't 
get fruit set. Now, the, the problem with writing a book for the entire Southwest is that, meanwhile, up in Flagstaff, the, the season isn't long enough to grow tomatoes. So uh, you really, then you have to pick a different varieties. But again, um, they each come with their own challenges. Yes. I was going to say, uh, the, the other fruit I, or vegetable that I like for the summer is tomatillos, the little green uh, tomato-like um, fruits, technically, or also called ground cherries. Mm-hmm. And they're with the, really with the little paper husk around them. Exactly, with the little paper husk, they make a wonderful salsa. Um, there are varieties that can be grown right up in the cold mountains, even with only like a sixty-day growing period. So, wow! Yeah, if you if you just kind of rearrange your thinking a little bit, don't say, "Oh, I've got to have tomatoes." Oh, I want to grow a tomato-like thing that I can make salsa out of. Look to tomatillos. So there's there's ways around everything, really. Now they're pretty heat tolerant too, aren't they? Yes, yes, there are, and they don't develop the blossom end rot the same way tomatoes do. But you they're know, not they're they're a different they're different species, aren't they? They're not like a persican, aren't they? Physalis or something? Physalis, yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. I, I I wondered about that because I they don't. The leaves don't look alike, and it looks a lot like the little plant that we call Chinese lantern here that tends to become a weed. Oh, really? oh Chinese lantern is also uh, the same genus as, as yeah. you know, this list. So, yeah. Um, and I remember growing up being told anything in the deadly nasty family can kill you. So I was a little concerned, but I, I think part of it was parents telling small children don't eat wild plants you know? <laughs> yeah i think it's the same thing like they tell kids don't touch the baby bird as the mama won't come back and of course you can put the baby bird back in the nest and mama right. will take care of it just fine our mothers were smarter than most people give them most kids give them credit for <laughs> true now um technically we're talking about tomatoes and tomatillos and those are fruits and I have to say, uh, when it comes to fruit trees, I just dearly love um, pomegranate. Mm. And and that's one thing that um, came over from the old world, came over from basically the Holy Land, if you want to look at it that way. And they grow so well in Tucson. And um, Father Kino, indeed, brought them over. And there was a, it was a very interesting group that went around to the sites of the old missions, 300 years old, 325 years old, some of them, and found these little scruffy bushes and took cuttings of them. And and basically, we're getting genetic plants that are 350 years old. Wow. That survive, and, and they're wonderful, wonderful fruits. They grow on very low water because they existent in rainfall for, you know, all these years. And um, so, you know, heritage fruits are, are really uh, a, a nice thing to be able to grow. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about um, Father Kino? I don't know that a lot of people know the story. 
Yeah, um, Father Kino was um, basically sort of Abraham Lincoln uh, 50 years ago. And, and he was a Jesuit friar that had this radical notion that people shouldn't be enslaved. And to get rid of him, the, the uh, Spanish crown said, okay, you know what, why don't you go out into the wilderness up north? Because, um, you know, there's uh, very like people up there, and maybe they'll kill you, but if not, any that you convert will not be taken slaves. So he went up there, and he found a cultural community. <laughs> and, oh, what are you growing? Tell me about it, basically. And won the people's hearts in that he was so talking about their world. And we were talking a little bit about weeds. Uh, other Jesuits or other priests would say, go weed the, the garden that we planted with our crops. Indians would sort of look at them and go, okay, whatever. And Father Kina would say, well, tell me, what field can you eat? And basically, see in so he was a he was a botanist. He was a botanist as well as a priest. Then, well, actually, sort of yeah, sort of a, a Renaissance man, shall we say? He he brought peace to the region, which fighting with the Spanish, and he he brought peace, and he uh, anyway. <laughs> How, how many he missions did he, too. <laughs> How many missions did he start? Well, twenty-five missions, assistancias, and visitas, which are uh, missions and assistancias are, are sort of a place where you go and you get help and. Your, your your phone is breaking up again. I'm sorry. Can I apologize to our listeners for the for the recording? Sometimes it happens, and and for for poor Jacqueline who came from a land where it hasn't rained in a long time, and now she's up where it's pouring rain on her head in Vermont. Yeah, yeah. It's probably a bit, a bit of a temperature culture shock too, isn't it? Yes. Yes, when when it, you wake up and it's forty degrees in, in, in June, yes, that's a culture shock. Yeah, but, well, but it, but at least it's as as the Mainers would say, it's refreshing. <laughs> yeah, very refreshing. As and, long as you got as long as you got the clothes for it. Okay, so yeah. Father, you, you've got several books out, but I think. For most of our listeners, since we're all food and fruit and vegetable growers, um, one of your books, the, the newest one, is Southwest Fruit and Vegetable Gardening. And right. and then Father Kino's Herb Garden is the other? Father Kino's Herbs, growing and using them today. Ah. And there's things that people are familiar with, of course, like... Um, lavender and, and rosemary and basil. And uh, and how to use them. So there's a whole chapter on cooking and using them for bath salts and making lotion. And um, there's also a chapter of history about Father Kino. So a little bit of everything in that in that book, but definitely a, a good herb book if you're interested. 
That's, that's a nice thing to know. We, we're just about have a minute and a half left. Um, can you tell people where they can find you or your website or uh, where your books? <laughs> well, uh, I go by uh, Gardening with Soul, and I should say that's spelled S-O-U-L-E. Um, so Gardening with Soul in the land of El Sol, the sun. And the website is currently re- being rebuilt um, but it should be up there. I'm also on Facebook, and my books are available through Amazon and through the publisher called Springs Press. Okay. Thank you so much for being with us, Jacqueline. I hope we can do it again sometime with a, with a good landline because there's so much I don't know about southwest vegetable gardening and fruit gardening that I would like to know. And well, I'll, for our listeners, I'll be putting this information up on our Facebook page. If you didn't get it all written down, I'll get Jacqueline's um, website there and the titles of her books for you. Well, thank you for having me, Daryl. You're quite, quite welcome. And that's about all the time we have for today, but we'll be talk- back talking more gardening next week on America's Homegrown Veggie Show. I hope you'll join us. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Could an app be the answer to a better garden? Absolutely. It's the new free app, Homegrown with Bonnie Plants. Note, track, and photograph your garden's progress. Personalize your weather and reminders. Get variety info, grow guides, hands-free dictation, and more. The Homegrown with Bonnie Plants app. The sharpest tool in your garden. Download it free on the App Store. This is Tracy Pearson with Prissy Tomboy. Listen to the Prissy Tomboy radio show every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time as I interview special guests that will inspire adventure and fitness for females. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.